0: do be Don't be, afraid. Don't be scared. It's calm. It was dug up by men and women who work and live in the electorates of those who sit How on. How
1: dare you! You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words.
2: Ultimately, the emergency climate comes down to a single number the concentration of carbon in our atmosphere.
0: I'm a victim of this whole climate crisis. And I am not ashamed to say so.
1: We would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and his lands we are recording today. We pay our respects to their Elders past and present and recognise their continuing connection to the land and waters on which we live. Hi, I'm Samreen. Hi, I'm Sandy. And we will be speaking with Hubert Algie and Melvina Hagedorn today. Hubert is a senior associate at Norton Rose Fulbright Australia in the planning and environment law team. He is the 2020 Marla Perlman Australian Young Environmental Lawyer of the Year. He has previously chaired the Environmental Issues Committee of the Law Institute of Victoria and in 2016 he was awarded the Victorian Planning Environmental Law Association Young Professional of the Year. Since 2012, he has been invited annually to lecture the negotiation and mediation at Humboldt University in Berlin as part of the Joint humboldt Tulane University International Summer School on Alternative Dispute Resolution. Hubert is also a sessional tutor at Melbourne University in planning law and statutory planning. He has also been a clinic supervisor for the Monash Climate Justice Clinic from 2019.
3: And also joining Hubert, we also have Malvina. Malvina is a special counsel in Russell Kennedy's pro bono practice. She is a public interest lawyer with over 13 years of experience specialising in refugee, immigration and citizenship law. Prior to joining Russell Kennedy in 2018, Malvina worked at the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre and Refugee Legal, and also as a Protection Officer for the Indonesian Office of the UNCHCR. She has extensive experience in developing and presenting community legal education seminars. This includes working for Project Respect to design and deliver training on the Australian sex industry and human trafficking. Malvina has been involved in a number of high profile strategic litigation cases. This includes the successful M70, M106 High Court Challenge to the legality of the government's proposal to transfer 800 asylum seekers to Malaysia. More recently, she has been involved in a string of court actions seeking to bring refugees of Nauru and Manus Island to Australia for urgent medical assessment and treatment. Malvina has been seconded from Russell Kennedy lawyers to assist with clinical supervision for the Monash Climate Justice Clinic. She designed the reading and the seminar program for the clinic and has been involved since its conception
1: um i suppose we'll begin by asking the question we pose to all our guests which is um what inspired each of you to pursue a career in the law and how is it that you've ended up in the space of climate justice um we'll start with you melvina
4: if that's okay sure thanks for having me um what inspired me well i was largely inspired really by sort of refugee issues um to get into the law so i was in my final year of high school around that uh, the time that Pauline Hanson was really getting a lot of traction politically um, because of her xenophobic views. And there was also um, widespread onshore detention of people who arrived in Australia by boat. So there was a lot of protests going on and people were going up to detention centres like Woomera in the middle of nowhere in, in Central Australia to protest people being detained there indefinitely. And so I felt very strongly about those issues and and felt that Australia was treating people in that situation absolutely horribly and wanted to do something about it Um, so that's kind of the context that I was in when I started studying my law degree and I always wanted to do law um, to try to have some sort of social justice impact Um, and I wasn't sure I'd become a lawyer for most of my degree actually I started studying an arts degree and then kind of got good marks in my first year and decided to transfer into law um, to do something more practical. Because I remember at the time, everyone was saying, what are you going to do with an arts degree? So I just thought, oh, okay, I'll do I'll do law just to see what happens. Um, Yeah, and kind of felt that through my whole law degree was really drawn to social justice uh, slanted sort of subjects. Uh, And then towards the end of my law degree, I started volunteering at the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre and just fell in love with the work there uh, assisting people to put forward their protection claims Um, and so by the end of my degree I thought I'm either going to be a refugee lawyer or I'm not going to do law Uh, and so then I got uh, lucky and got an articles um, which back in my day was that year of practical legal training that you had to do uh, prior to being admitted as a lawyer and I I got that to do that at the ASRC Uh, so I kind of just went straight into refugee law which is what I wanted Um, so I felt very lucky to have gotten that opportunity um and yeah i never looked back i just loved the work it felt really impactful felt like a real privilege to be able to work with people who had undergone really horrific things in their lives um but were still able to you know rebuild that their lives and, and kind of show that level of resilience and help them try to navigate uh the legal system here in australia which can be a r- really challenging thing um So that's how I got into the law, I guess. And then how I got into climate justice um, is, I mean, there's a, you know, there's a very obvious connection between the climate crisis that we face and refugee issues. Um, So increasingly, climate change and the natural disasters that flow from climate change are displacing people. Um, and people who are displaced as a result of climate change aren't actually recognised as refugees. So there's no provision made within the international um, refugee convention for people who are displaced as a result of, of climate change. Uh, so obviously we need a different answer uh, for those people. And um, you know, more broadly, I think climate change and environmental destruction is a, you know a, a bigger issue than um or an all-encompassing issue i should say not bigger but an all-encompassing issue that affects refugee flows really significantly so that was my in i sort of really wanted i I saw that as a huge issue facing people who i was working with and 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 future refugees and i wanted to do something about it um and i also just love nature so it's kind of my my go-to happy place um that gives me a lot of uh joy and peace and really sort of nourishes me and so I, i feel deep grief at the prospect of a lot of our beautiful natural places being destroyed. And so I really wanted to do something to try to stop that. Um, And when I started working at Russell Kennedy about five years ago, uh, they were actually in the process of discussing uh, the the possibility of setting up a climate justice clinic. At the time, it wasn't going to be in collaboration with Monash necessarily. It was just um, a, a student clinic aimed at trying to Um, increase sort of the pool of ideas for climate justice litigation, uh, because that was seen as a bit of a gap at the time. Things have really started moving since then in Australia, but at the time there wasn't, there was still um, not a whole lot of climate justice related litigation. um, Other than of course sort of that bread and butter opposition to new fossil fuel projects, but outside of that there wasn't a whole lot of other legal interventions going on um yeah and then sort of without going into too much detail um got involved in that process and eventually that led to the climate justice clinic being established in collaboration with monash as part of their clinical program and i'm now seconded from russell kennedy to help supervise the clinic with hubert um every second clinical period so usually a couple of times a year
1: that's wonderful and that sounds like such a rewarding path to where you are now um love to hear from hubert about um the same thing what what um inspired mm. you and how did you end up in this um climate justice space
2: uh, well largely by accident i feel like it, it um i started out after high school doing a fine arts degree like a painting degree um and through that experience sort of felt i was more and more capable as a student and um, within that edu- educational context, I think I struggled a lot in high school and it really knocked my confidence. And so doing a finance arts degree helped me realise that I could do further study. And um, around the time that I finished, I got a job in a planning and environment law firm, just a, a boutique firm and got working and felt that in the, the work of the law, I was much more at home in the sort of nuts and bolts of client meetings and conveyancing and file noting and managing a file than I was, you know, um, you know than others were, maybe people that had got their law degree and it was sort of brand new to them. So I've, I felt at home in that way and that encouraged me to go into studying law. And I studied law with a view of like, surely there'll be another area of law that I'm interested in more. You know planning and environments, you know, um, it's pretty niche, it's pretty sort of um, you know, it's not the glitzy law that is on, you know, alec McBeal or suits or, you know, all the criminal podcasts or anything like that. So I thought, oh surely I'll end up in criminal law or commercial law or wheeling and dealing. Um, and those areas will appeal to me more. Um, but I found it was sort of like a process of deduction. As I went through and studied each unit, more and more those units were like less and less appealing. Um, And it was sort of nose um, really helped me decide where I wanted to be. And the more I studied other areas of law, the more I realized that I enjoyed environmental and planning law, the more I realized the sort of uniqueness of that field. I think it's very rare for maybe not very rare, but law is often looking backwards. It looks back to the harm that's been caused, the problem that happened, and looks to allocate blame. But I think with environment and planning law, often you're looking forward. You're looking at something that's new and growing and developing and um, aimed at improving the world around us. And I think that's really what kind of caught me and captured my imagination and Um, allows that creativity to still be at work um, in in everyday practice. Um, It's also administrative law. I know it's a sort of, uh, it's a love-hate subject, but I think um, uh, admin law is a really important part of practice and something that's at the core of planning and environmental law, and um, I think it's a really powerful tool um, to sort of hold government to account and I think that's really exciting. much like environment and planning I sort of fell into climate justice as well I think I was lucky enough to be approached in the second CP of the clinical period of the climate justice clinic to um, I think start as a, a holiday cover it was uh, uh, the sort of initial brief and um, they haven't been able to shake me just yet so I've been able to sort of hang in there uh, for the last three or four years so I fell into that space and i think for me um climate justice in the clinic has been able to broaden the traditional scope of environment and planning law for me you know um where say malvina's come from that refugee perspective looking towards um you know the climate and its involvement in climate justice i feel like it's um, climate justice has expanded what environment and planning should be looking like in practice uh, for me as well. Um, I think it probably does with every area but um, yeah so that's sort of how I fell into it.
0: Um, so our next question is for Hubert. Um, could you start us well touching based on how you led to the and Climate Justice planning, could you tell us more a bit
2: about the Monash Climate Justice Clinic and the legal services it provides? Sure. The Monash Climate Justice Clinic is a pro bono legal service that works with a number of peak environmental and um, movement bodies, so protest organisations or peak uh, advocacy groups um, and private organisations to advance um, climate justice in law and policy throughout Australia and throughout the region. Um, One of the benefits of taking a climate justice view to the work we do is it really broadens the subject matters we deal with. It's not a traditional environmental law clinic. We're not limited to environmental issues. We really look at any issue that has a climate justice focus, so whether it's the right of protesters to be protected, whether it's traditional environmental disputes, whether it's defamation, whether it's, um, you know, a, any variety of kind of social justice issues connected to the climate, we're able to, to pick up and run with it. Um, but look, I, I like to think about the clinic as an incubator. It incubates ideas um, that might otherwise not have the resources to be worked on. You know, often in the climate movement, organisations are pretty stretched for resources, time, energy. Um, so the clinic provides this really important um, sort of stopgap for a lot of organisations where they've got a really cool idea that flows out of something that they're doing, but they don't have the people or the manpower to, to work on it. And that's where the clinic can come in, work with them over um, the 12-week clinical period and um, hopefully deliver something that they can then use and run, run with.
1: That sounds so great. Thank you. Um, and Melvina, can you tell us more about, um, you know, the engaging reading and seminar program that you'd helped developed for the Climate Justice Clinic, um, Types of resources available to enhance um, students' understandings of various justice issues?
4: Yeah, sure. I guess we, um sort of from the outside of the clinic we thought it was really important to contextualize the practical legal work that the students were doing so the way that we structure the clinic is that each student group who usually have groups three groups of three students and each of those groups works on one or two legal files of uh, either research or advice for a environmental organization or a partner um, body but then, in conjunction with that, we want to contextualise what the, what the work they are doing is, um, what climate justice means, the fact that the law, for example, is only one tool in the climate justice the climate justice movement can use to try to achieve its goals, and so to do that, um, we've designed sort of a complementary reading program. Um, that broadly looks at things like what is this environmental crisis that we find ourselves in, um, from a very philosophical standpoint, in terms of looking at the various problems with our current power structures, with our current sort of patriarchal capitalist system, and that the fact that it's it's led to the crisis that we're in. Um, then we look at uh, the role of the law uh, within the climate justice movement, so how the law can be used in different ways to try to address climate justice issues. Uh, we importantly look at um, how crucial it is to try to incorporate First Nations knowledge and understanding into any response to climate issues. Uh, we also have a week on sort of mental health uh, and well-being, So looking at the impact that climate change has um, on young people, anyone, but particularly young people, the, the psychological impact it can have, that it can often sort of feel really overwhelming and lead to apathy and people not really knowing what to do. And so looking at strategies that you can implement to um, alleviate those feelings and try to make you feel a bit more engaged and, and proactive and positive about um, possible strategies and, and solutions to, to climate change or the, the broader environmental crisis. Um, yeah, so that's just a little bit of a taste of the readings. Um, there's other weeks that we cover cover other, other questions in. Um, but in in addition to the reading we also have guest speakers and that's sort of it serves the same purpose so we get speakers from across the environmental movement in australia so that's um, barristers environmental campaigners policy writers um, lawyers uh, to speak about their experience and how they work to try to um, advance climate justice um, the climate justice agenda
0: that sounds really interesting thank you um so we'll open up the next question to either of you so how does a clinical legal education i guess you've already touched base on this but how does it contribute to shaping young lawyers understanding of climate justice as a broader social issue rather than just an environmental concern so what skills does it help young lawyers to develop
2: well i guess to dovetail on what Malvin has explained about the reading program i think it's that's a really key part of the education around climate justice. You know, it's not a um, term that's maybe used as much or understood as well as others. And I think the first step is really, um, really looking to kind of provide that, those resources to students is the first step. I think expanding our understanding of what climate justice looks like, the way in which, Um, climate harm is felt most severely by those least able to respond to it, it's really important. And I think it really starts to open up students' minds to the variety of ways in which climate harm can be affecting the community and the variety of ways in which young lawyers can be responding to climate. You know, you don't have to be an environmental lawyer to care about and, and improve climate justice you can do it in a variety of ways, you know?
4: Yeah, and I think it also, um, so through exposure to our various guest speakers, we hope that that also acts as an inspiration for students to see all the different things that they can do, the different um, sort of groups they could get involved in if they want to do something about environmental destruction um, and gives them that real in. So sometimes I think that um, when you're at uni and you're really focused on your studies and you know, law can be really demanding, it can be hard to tap into the various opportunities that might exist. Um, so we hope that the, the clinic does that as well.
2: Um, yeah, absolutely. And I think you mentioned the skills, young words develop. I think certainly for me through my law school experience, one of the things that got me through it was mooting. I love mooting. I love the practical learning. It just I wouldn't have got through law school without it, and I think um the clinical education program at monash and clinical experience is such a fantastic opportunity because it really is about the skills so whether it's you know uh, researching drafting client interviewing um you know teamwork working in an office environment whatever the skills are that young people feel they're lacking it really does provide an opportunity to work on those and we at the Climate Justice Clinic really try and tailor the experience. So if you came to the clinic and really wanted to work on your advocacy, well, we'd look at look to find opportunities to to help you build and develop those skills within the clinic as well.
1: That sounds great. Um honestly, I want to I want I want to join. I want to be a part of this. Um we'd love
0: to have you. <laughs> <laughs> um
1: we'll open the next question to either of you as well many communities especially those in vulnerable areas face challenges accessing legal assistance to address the impacts of climate change what are some of the barriers that these communities encounter in obtaining legal support and are there any initiatives or strategies being implemented to address these issues
4: well i mean i think each community is different so it's hard to um, generalize around the types of barriers that various communities face. Um, I mean, it can often be just a lack of legal services in their area. It could be, um, you know, the fact that they don't have legal mean, I'm sorry, financial means to pay for legal advice. And so they have to rely on a community legal service that is often overrun. it might be that there aren't actually legal solutions to their problems. So that's another big thing that we explore in the climate justice clinic is that often um, the law can't actually provide the solution that a person affected by climate change is wanting. Uh, and so that's where we also think it's really important to engage in what we call mo- is, is movement lawyering. And movement lawyering, I don't know if you've heard of that term before, but effectively. Um, means that you act to as a lawyer you do what you can to support the existing environmental justice movement in australia so it might not be that you as a lawyer are providing some sort of silver bullet solution to an issue but rather you're helping an ngo that is campaigning against fracking for example in the nt and you're giving them legal advice um, to enable them to engage in that campaign and so rather than thinking you're going to be the person to give the community a solution you're facilitating the work that other groups are doing um, and so i guess it's that kind of being that second step removed um, which is really really crucial work and i think really important to um realize how important that work is um, i think people are often tempted or often think of sort of the law and climate law and climate justice as being, uh, you know, these kind of high profile litigation cases um, that try to hold government to account or try to hold corporations to account. And that's absolutely one element of it, but there's a lot of other types of legal assistance that you can give um, to really assist um, communities that are being impacted by by climate change.
2: Yeah. And, uh, you know, Following on from that, I think we're seeing more and more the, the, in some ways, the limited return we're getting on litigation. Litigation is often very issue specific. It's often very narrow. Sometimes it will get resolved and negotiated settlements, and, um, it, you know, it doesn't provide solution for the whole community or the community at large, and it doesn't solve the climate justice issues. What this requires is action on mass, on scale, to actually address some of these concerns. And, um, you know, when we talk about movement lawyering, it's really critical that we look at other other ways in which lawyers can facilitate and empower change. So it's about empowering the community first and foremost. And so, um, you know, really that's where we sort of find ourselves sitting, is listening to community and being driven by what their needs are.
4: And I think oh, oh, I'll just give you a practical example of how the clinic has has kind of embodied that approach um, recently. So at the start of the year, we published um, a guide to land management law in Victoria and that was in collaboration with Gippsland Community Legal Service and it came out of Gippsland Community Legal Service approaching the clinic and saying there's all these people in our community who were really adversely impacted by the 2019-2020 bushfires. They had a lot of damage to their property or are worried that their property will be damaged in future fires because the land around their properties are being managed properly. Uh, and we really don't know how to advise them because this isn't an area of law that we usually practice in. Can you help us understand land management law in Victoria so that we can advise our community about what they are able to do, how they can maybe hold government bodies to account for poor land management or for a lack of land management. Um, And so that's what we did. We um, put together a very comprehensive guide which is actually now accessible online if anyone wants to look it up. Uh, to help the Gippsland lawyers and hopefully other community legal centres in Victoria as well uh, be better placed to answer queries from their community.
0: That sounds like such amazing work. Um, thank you for talking about it. Um, so our next question is for students who are wanting to get into the field. I'm personally interested in, in to hearing your answer about this. So how do you manage your clients' expectations about legal outcomes while well, maintaining a positive mindset given that Legal services in general are limited by the law. So, what strategies do you employ to avoid disillusionment and stay motivated anyway?
2: Hmm, it's tricky. Um, (laughs) Look, I think the first thing is probably it's okay to be disillusioned at times. Like, you know, it's not all. Rainbows and butterflies in legal practice. There are hard days, um, and even really fantastic days can be difficult and challenging. And um, you know, you really wear and feel the injustice of things that are going on around you. Um, so that's kind of um, part of the the work. I think it's really important, and certainly something the clinic looks to try and provide students is skills around sort of reflective practice, um, active management of your own mental health, and um, really trying to demonstrate that just as it is important to do your CPDs every year to keep up with the legal developments, it's just as important to be maintaining healthy um, lifestyle and healthy mental health practices in your in your work whether that's seeing psychologists regularly whether it's having somebody to debrief on the difficult things that you're dealing with and I think that's probably the first step in being able to kind of manage all the slings and arrows that come in legal practice and all the difficult days Um, but you know overall for me I think really working with students at the clinic is just uh, it gives me immense hope you know, a difficult week where everything's, you know, going south, um, uh, you know, or things are really difficult, to come into the clinic and have nine students who are bright-eyed about the way the law is, and the way it can work, and who are excited to learn and develop and grow is just, you know, um, it's a fantastic uh, sort of antidote to any of the, the. um yeah, the difficulties that we come across in practice, but yeah, I'm lucky in that way.
1: All right. So, um, in the interest of time, I'm going to move on. And um, yeah, question that's open for either one of you. Um, you know, given that both of you took different paths to end up in the climate justice space, um, you know, with Malvina having had that community legal center experience and yourself, Hubert, coming from um straight into private practice, um, what approach would you recommend that young lawyers take in getting involved in um, either environmental law, climate justice matters?
4: Um, Look, I think that I always tell students this, and I think that it's really important to follow your interest and your passion. And I don't think there's one way of getting Sort of building a career that you're going to love. There's not one answer, but I do think as a general rule, if you stick to your interest areas and if you kind of try to seek out jobs that excite you and you feel passionate about, I think that's going to set you up pretty well um, in, into the future. Because there are many ways of entering the climate justice space or social justice, you know, or, or the social justice space in in the law. Um, Another another great way, I think, if you're able to, and I do realise that not all students can do this, but I think volunteering for an organisation is a really great way um, of getting exposure to practical legal work, of building relationships within those organisations, like, for example, within the community legal sector, a lot of recruitment is done from the existing volunteer pool, Um, it's pretty obvious because it's the same as in private law firms, all the recruitment's done from um, people that have either clerked with the firm and then become law graduates, so it's it's a real chance for the organisation to effectively interview you um, when you are either volunteering or clerking um, to then know whether or not to offer you a job. So it works both ways in terms of it's, it's very beneficial for the student if you are volunteering because you get to do great work, you, you see what it means to be a lawyer on the ground, you get an insight into what um, that particular organization or CLC is doing. Um, yeah, and, and then they also get to kind of see see how you work and, and keep you in mind if there are jobs in the future.
1: Great Hubert, um, any insights?
2: Yeah, look, I, it's difficult, job market's difficult, it's stressful for a lot of young lawyers. We're seeing more and more lawyers come into the profession. Um, I I think the thing that, I don't know, just bums me out the most is seeing brilliant young law students feel like the, the measure of their success, their ability to be a good lawyer, their ability to have a fantastic career is measured by a firm's grad program. Um, the 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 hoops that get jumped over for young people to enter those programs are immense, and of course they're great if you could get in, it's fantastic. But I uh, the thing I worry about most is the students that miss out, despite being brilliant, despite being fantastic. Um, it is not a measure of your success. It, don't ever feel like that. Uh, if you don't get the grad program you want, or a grad program at all, or clerkships. I never got any of those, it does not matter, it, it is not a measure for your success um, and to that end, I encourage law students to look more broadly, there's an, an immense wide variety of legal practitioners out there and um, I think a lot of young people do an immense disservice to themselves by overlooking those local firms that are doing good work just down to earth, nuts and bolts, legal work, they overlook that for the big city sort of firms. And I think it, um, they miss out on opportunity, they miss an opportunity to develop their networks, develop their skills. And I think they find themselves getting kind of turned away from the firms because they don't have experience. And I just think it's, um, yeah, I, I think it's a vicious cycle. And I think I'd encourage law students to get out and get an opportunity and, really when you get those opportunities run with them you know every opportunity is a potential um, referrer they're a potential referee there's somebody to help you in your career so don't sort of um go oh well i can do better over here you know you've got to treat people with um, kindness and respect along the way i
0: think that's really reassuring for those who might be listening Yeah, that was
1: so insightful and was also our final question for today. Um, So thank you both so much for joining us and for all your words of advice to our listeners. Sure,
4: thanks for having us.